I was actually thinking about getting some beer also. You want to pause? We can all, I'll go grab something. <laughs> Dylan, you Imagine. need something? <laughs> 7 a.m. beer before work. Nico, you got a, a bad drunk before work story? <laughs> oh, plenty. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, plenty of those times. But no, I'm actually, I, 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 would, I would prefer not to drink before work. <laughs> it, it's, it's a, a bit, good policy. Good yeah, policy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> another episode of the hoops temple podcast uh you know me nathan schwartz joining me dylan williamson and nico lawson hello what's happening everybody i'm not drunk we have something really exciting today something i've always wanted to do which is a mailbag podcast uh we had some of our friends provide us some questions we stole some questions from a few different uh, social media sites and a couple other podcasts that we heard. So we're excited to do it. But first, we wanted to backtrack just a minute. Dylan noticed that the great Tim Bontemps of ESPN did a little bit of our research for us, contacted a hundred different uh, writers, asking them for their MVP ballots, and provided his list to the general public uh, of their rankings one through five. So... Dylan, you want to tell us what we uh, what we got? Yes, yeah, so pretty much um, right in line with everyone's thinking, I think for the most part, LeBron James out way ahead, um, getting fifty three of the of the first place votes. Second and third, Embiid and Jokic. So I think that's more or less the top three that we, uh, for the most part, agreed on last week. And then Durant and Kawhi, four and five. And further down the list, Steph Curry and Paul George also receiving a first place vote. Fun to see three Utah Jazz on a top 15, although they combine for a total of seven votes. So all fourth and fifth place. So not really in the conversation at all. That's still probably like the first time where you've got three guys from one team in the top 15. Probably. So, so which player would more likely be MVP? The the guys with like one first place vote and a few second and third place votes or the guy with like 25th place votes? Yeah, like the first place votes are weighted way higher. So like... um, I think the scale is five points for a first place, four points for a second, three for third, four for... All right, two for fourth, one for a fifth. So there can be some sneaky stuff of if you don't get a bunch of firsts, but you get a ton of seconds, you can get up in there. But I, I think just looking at his list where like Paul George gets one first, uh, two fourths and a fifth versus Gobert, who got three fifths and one fourth. George is significantly ahead. I was just surprised Steph Curry with so few votes, first of all. Um, but And then Giannis Antetokounmpo above him with zero first votes and second place. That's what I was wondering about. Yeah, so in the list, Curry got 13 total votes out of the 100 people uh, that Bontemps reached out to. But one of them was a first place vote, which is just kind of surprising. Giannis got 33 votes with 20 of them being fifth place, nothing first or second. Um, in honor of the recency bias of media members, though, after um, Curry had those couple awesome games, he Bontemps, Bontemps did say that a, a few people were texting and wanting to add Steph Curry higher on their um, higher on their ballot. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Like, like when did this uh, vote uh, got casted like Steph Curry I'm sure he would get a lot more votes uh, made today than ago but also very surprising like zero votes for James Harden isn't that a bit surprising seeing that Kevin Durant is actually a lot of yeah also Dan Lillard with like three fifths votes I think there's a case there really you could uh you could give him some more love. But yeah, I think it, it, it perfect, perfectly reflecting the uh, like media picture. You do see a lot of uh, praise for Nikola Jokic, but it's not the same exposure as uh, LeBron James. And it's pretty clear to see in that list that LeBron James definitely have exposure and probably have a better narrative, like we said. Yeah, and you wonder how much of that is like the tiebreaker of there's no clear favorite, so we'll just give it to the best player. Yeah. Every other guy, you can you can poke major holes in their case, you know. Um, Embiid missed a bunch of games. Jokic's team sucks. He can't defend. Durant's missing games. They're a terrible defense. With the lack of a clear standout guy, there's LeBron on, you know, a half game back from best record in the league, being awesome again as the best player in the league. So he's an easy default. Yeah. Really transitions away from redoing the MVP talk. Because I think 
I think we all were a little bit higher on Jokic, and I think at that point, the Nuggets were a little bit better last week, and I think we all believe that they will continue to be better. We can revisit this at the All-Star break, but we do have uh, our first mailbag question, which is about that team that is in the number one seed, half game ahead of the Lakers. Uh, Our friend Michael Wyatt writes in and asks... Are the Utah Jazz serious or just a flash in the pan? I said this in the last podcast, I think. I, I, I was just listening back to the podcast uh, today, actually. And, and I said something like, Utah Jazz is fake or something like that. Just <laughs> flew right out of me. But yeah, I, I don't really believe in them as as, as like a, uh, a playoff team that really uh, get it all, win it all. Where's that doubt coming from? I actually don't know. I mean, yeah, I do know. <laughs> Let me explain. We'll say <laughs> so. So you know, I don't really trust in Donovan Mitchell as like a prime superstar. Like he's not LeBron James. He's not Anthony Davis. He's not Kawhi Leonard. He's not James Harden or Kevin Durant. And, and that's the superstar. And I don't think Mike Conley is seasoned enough for playoffs. You don't think that Mitchell's um play for the Nugget series last year could carry over against a against a better team? Just think if or when they meet uh, up with player uh, teams like Lakers and Clippers, uh, I think they're gonna come kind of come up short. I don't think they have. I, I just can't see them defend like both LeBron James and Anthony. Davis. I don't trust them, but I like the team. I actually think they're very fun to watch. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it this way. They are the best team in the league at the moment. Uh, if you look at net rating, they're the best team in the whole league. I could definitely buy them as if they get the right breaks as a Western Conference finalist. The big trouble is that the finals sort of go through LA. And once you come up against LeBron or Kawhi, you know, that's sort of what they're missing is a, a big wing stopper. You know, Royce O'Neal is a good defender, but he's like 6'6", 220. You know, against Kawhi and against LeBron, he's exactly. he's going to get yeah. bullied. Yeah, Maybe less to do with, do we buy them as a legit team? I think they are a legit team. I think they just match up poorly against those two teams that they're going to have to go through. Exactly, yeah. I love the take. I watched them play Boston this past week, and Gobert dominated. Boston literally did not get a point in the paint until he left the game. Like, they got in there, he got blocks. They got in there, he was standing right there, and they kicked out for a three. Luckily, they were hitting because Gobert was just dismantling everything they wanted to do in the paint. And it's the most impressive I've seen Gobert, but he really struggles guarding Jokic, who's got the inside-out game. And he really struggles guarding Davis, who also has the inside-out game. I think if it was, I think if the Jazz were in the East, they'd be my favorite to make the finals out of the Eastern teams. Yeah, just because it, he matches up much better with a lot of those teams against against Milwaukee. They can sit him in the paint and have him protect against Giannis. You know, Lopez might try to pull him out a bit, but he's not going. I, I feel like he's a much better matchup against. Uh, Embiid than almost anybody else in the Eastern Conference. And the way he dominated Boston, I think he did the same thing against Brooklyn's lack of size. So they would absolutely be my favorites to make the final if they were in the East. But in the West, I don't think they make it out of the second round just because they'll see either the Lakers or the Nets. Yeah, That's sort of a, a thing that um, Western Conference GMs have to be quite cognizant of is... You know, to beat these LA teams, you don't just have to be an awesome team like the Jazz already are, but you also need to match up against a specific kind of guy. You need someone who's big and strong enough and, and quick enough to um, defend against Kawhi and LeBron, and you need someone at the four who can, you know, defend down low against Davis. So it's at this sort of current point in NBA, it's not just a matter of being an awesome team. You also have to have the right players, which mm-hmm. is probably uh, something that the Warriors made true previously of, you know, you can have all these awesome guys, but if you don't have anyone that can guard Steph Curry and and you don't have, you know, smart bigs who can who can help on the perimeter, that no matter how good you are, you're just not going to be able to um, beat, beat the Warriors. Um, I, and that's sort of true of the LA teams now. I remember when I was coaching high school basketball and I had a, a couple of kids that were just really good. You know, I, I probably would have had them be some of the best kids in the state at our divisional level. But one of their teams had a six foot eleven kid, and our tallest kid was a six foot four kid, Dietrich, who I love. He was like six foot four, and he's a violinist, and he's a theater kid. Great kid, but like 
they had a 611 guy that could dunk and could hit threes and it was just like all right great our our five foot nine you know shooting guard who's gonna shoot 47 percent from three is not worth anything now and so much of basketball is really matchup dependent and you know i don't know who lakers put to guard the conley um donovan mitchell combo but i don't think that matters as much when when gobert is not as valuable to utah yeah similar story to that night i went to one of my brother's um high school basketball games and you know they're they're a pretty regular high school basketball team you know like like yours the tallest guys maybe you know six four um mm-hmm. and there's and you know they're reasonably athletic and as they are warming up um there's another game going on of a team that they would have to face and these dudes are like just like blocking shots getting out in transition like throwing lobs and and dunking alley oops and like my brother's team had like like maybe one guy who could dunk the ball and it was just like you know these are two different um level of team and you just got to think in the playoffs that la are that team that's throwing alley oops and these other western conference teams are you know six foot four guys you could also you know just sign a guy that resembles another lebron stopper when was the last time we saw lebron struggle against a smaller guy that's against dallas and dallas had jj barrera and you know who then was signed this season you know they signed facundo campaso same build same like energy and defense two feisty dudes yep so we're gonna see uh Facundo Campasso got some LeBron James, I think. Yeah, I think there was way more going on in that Dallas series than just JJ grabbing a stopper. He's gonna get so many steals. Like when whenever LeBron is gonna post up, you're gonna see Facundo Campasso get it in his pocket. If, if Facundo Campasso guards LeBron in the post, Denver is done. Denver's game plan's no, over. No, no, no. <laughs> they are they're <laughs> quick. <laughs> He's not guiding him in the That's an absolute. <laughs> the series is over. We've given up. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. No, but I mean, it's it's just difficult when you when you meet up against guys like LeBron, Kawhi, and Paul George and stuff like that. You better have some good wing defenders, and they better have some uh, some weight. Um, and I guess that's just the problem in Utah. Yeah. Well, speaking of good wing defenders, uh, Michael did have a two part to his question, which was, uh, what do you guys make of the Rockets post Harden trade? Nico, I know you have some post-podcasty takes on the Rockets, but how are you feeling about them and their newfound defensive prowess? I was so low on Houston Rockets. I was like, blow it up, blow it up. <laughs> they they're so surprising. Uh, I, I love their uh, I love their team right now. They're playing super well on defense, and it's so great to see John Wall play some basketball again. And I, I think I actually wrote to you guys that I was so excited to see. Uh, Demarcus Cousins back again. Um, he's not in perfect basketball shape yet. We've seen him move a bit better, but he looks he looks like he's in fun. This team is a lot better than I expected. And I said Victor Oladipo would be uh, asking for a trade right away because I didn't think the team would be any good. But he might have second thoughts now. This team is not that bad. It's sort of like um last year's Thunder, where everyone just sort of wrote them off because they were losing um a star player. But you sort of don't look at the roster of of the guys that are left and like see there are so many competent NBA players. You know, John Wall at this stage is still a good NBA player. Oladipo is a good NBA player. You know, Christian Wood is a guy who I wrote a love song to last season, and he's absolutely killing it. And and, and these depth guys, you know, Jay Sean Tate. Uh, they've got good NBA players and 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 shout out to Steven Silas because they're pretty well coached too. Um, I think he's having a good performance this year as well. Um, so you kind of fall into that OKC trap of, okay, these guys are, are losing a star, but you, you don't look at what's left. Yeah, I was sad to see that um, that Woods would be out for a little bit it just because yeah. one that really hurts my fantasy basketball uh, focus this year because I've got him in one of my leagues. But the other thing, thing was I, I went and pulled up defensive numbers and really some lineup numbers for them because pj tucker looks out of sorts when houston was doing all sorts of switching i thought pj tucker you know pj tucker is the perfect five for that but now that they are running a more traditional lineup with a wall point guard and old depot shooting cousins getting more minutes at center they're playing more of a traditional you know guard man defense when you have jay sean tate and David Nawaba on the floor, and P.J. Tucker off the floor, the Rockets are plus 30 in net rating per 100 possessions. They're legitimately holding teams to 86 points per 100 possessions while scoring 117. Like There's just something to having scrappy guys that have a fight for their place in the league, a lot like Christian Wood. You know, in the same way John Wall is fighting to make his comeback, in the same way Oladipo is fighting 
for relevance again after kind of losing his team. The Rockets are here to fight, and I don't want to see them if I was in the play-in tournament. Yeah, and they were first first in defensive rating uh, at a at a point. I think they fell down to second place now. But it's great to see defense in use. <laughs> and uh, the pace is up very high, so that's why they're so fun to watch. Steven Silas is doing a great job. Yeah, it's a very fun team. Yeah, it, something about having those guys that are scrappers. Our, yeah. our, our friend Tim wrote in, and he asks, do you think the lack of crowds have affected teams or players? What are some examples that you guys can think of in either ways or specific things that uh, not having crowds or having these limited-sized crowds have been helping certain teams? I don't remember if we were, if, if we talked about this on, a, on another podcast. I just wrote with some guys on the group. Uh, the lack of uh, crowds uh, really... Um, you know, impacting uh, how the blowouts, uh, yes, is the, the blowouts are just way bigger and it seems like there's less comebacks. It's it's looking a bit better now they're getting used to it. But you're also seeing a lot of unknown players just getting uh, more minutes now, I guess, due to COVID. And I mean, there's a, a lot less pressure when there's not uh, 12,000 or 30,000 people uh, screaming at you. Um, so I think that's the reason why we're seeing so many blowouts and, and the reason why we're seeing so many unknown players have amazing performances is is largely due to not having any crowds yeah i think to touch on blowouts it's um when you've got crowds you get sort of the rubber banding effect where if you jump out to a big lead then you sort of um see it start to dissipate and then and then once that reduces then you can get that sort of comeback energy um so i think for sure that that a lack of comebacks and a um, prevalence of blowouts is a result of a lack of fans uh, one that i thought would be a thing but i looked up the stats is um, I thought maybe the shooting would be up based on no fans, but teams are shooting on average about 36.9% from three, which is, if it held, would be the all-time high, but not that much higher than 17-18, where it's 36-2. Free throws, 77-4. Last year, it was 77-3. year before, 76-6. So there's not the shooting improvement that I thought would be seen um, isn't really spelled out in the evidence. One thing I know, or at least one thing I feel like I've been seeing, is, is a little bit better gameplay. You know, you don't have that like great highlight dunk that then the other team immediately call timeout with because the crowd is just roaring and insane. You know, so you kind of get to see. Uh, I'm going back. The Bucks played more, or the Bucks played 76ers this past week. There was a Giannis dunk on Ben Simmons. He stared down and kind of pounded his chest a little bit. And, you know, no crowd noise, no nothing. So Philadelphia comes back the other way, and Embiid misses a, a five-footer, and Simmons gets a putback dunk right on Giannis and stares him down and yells back. And it, it just was a much better moment for me, the fact that there wasn't timeout in between to try to stop the crowd from going insane. So I, I've kind of enjoyed the lack of fans being an at-home watcher for the most, point, most part. I guess you could say you're getting more pure basketball experience. But in part of the fun is also crowd interactions. I guess a few crowd interactions, but been a few, at least one in too much crowd interference. She was not banned. Uh, I assume we're talking about the Atlanta fan that got into it with LeBron. She was not banned from from the courts, so there is still a chance that we could see her at this year's All Star Game. Do you want to courtside Karen at the All Star Game? Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Absolutely, courtside Karen and all steroid ass. I want them. I want them both courtside <laughs> in the. <laughs> the all-star game oh gosh that'll give lebron some motivation he said he's got zero motivation for this game so we'll, we'll put them courtside and courtside karen an old steroid ass can talk shit to him you know those dunk takes yeah. where you like throw a baseball and if you hit the target the person will you know drop into the water mm. maybe maybe we get her on one of those but every time lebron james dunks the ball she gets you know, <laughs> dropped into the water. She gets progressively lower as for every point he scores. And once he gets to 50, then... Oh, gosh. He wouldn't come out of the game. <laughs> I think we're onto something, Nate. Yeah. We, we can totally improve the All-Star game this way. Yeah. First, the Elam ending, now courtside Karen dunk tank. I personally enjoyed having the, like, children from each charity at last year's game where, you know... Depending on if you won the quarter or not, if these kids got more or less money, so these kids were like, "What do you mean you're not going to try to score this? Like, play some defense." Uh, I like having stakes. 
Yeah, and the future of underprivileged youth is a pretty good thing to um, play for. Kind of a twisted thing to play for if we really think about it. But... <laughs> it really is, yeah. Well, Tim had a second part to, or Tim had a second question as well, which what officiating changes uh, do you think can improve the game, or how do you feel about the officiating, and what changes do you think needs to be done to the officiating of the game? I'm going to give a somewhat hot take and say that I think the game is pretty much as good as it's ever been and and pretty much as good as it can reasonably be expected to get. There is one thing that I'll change and do you guys know what I mean when I say Euro foul? Yes. I don't. Euro foul is essentially just the intentional fouling to stop a fast break. Mm. Um, you know, you got the clear path violation, which tries to do away with that, but there's, you know, if you're not the um, the defender who's back the most, then you can still foul. Um, so that would be the one thing that I think you could get rid of is, uh, and, you know, stop stop the Euro foul, stop um, giving teams an out to, to stop the fast break, force them to get back in and, and let's get more more fast break that would be the one thing that i can complain about yeah actually i had a hard time coming up with any rule changes but that's that's definitely something that they should look at but but the season so far has been great i mean uh i think the officiating is pretty good i feel like the one thing that i really change is i don't want the refs in the arena to go to the monitors anymore uh, i'm like by the time the by the time the refs or by the time the coach signals coaches challenge I pretty much want the the people in Secaucus, the ref headquarters, to have a decision made. Like, boom, whistle is made. I want four people in real time viewing every whistle. So that way the second a coach challenges, we already have this like, hey, you challenged, you're wrong. Okay, you challenged, yep, you got that right. We have these four people already reviewing the play. Just speed it up. There's no reason it has to be the in-court guys that are, that are watching it. But, but other than that, I, I'm not too opposed to anything going on ref-wise. Yeah, to touch on the replay re- review, in, in rugby they have a system where they have a, a what they call a television match official who's just a ref who's just watching video. Um, and whenever there's anything that needs to be referred, you know, they're, they're right on it. And and they do, which probably speeds it up, but he also does confer with the with the on-field ref and the on-field ref is, is seeing what he's seeing at the same time. And, 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 and so they can sort of um, advise each other, you know, the TMO, the guy who's up in the booth can, can say what he's seen, you know, get a quick conclusion. But at the same time, the um, on-field ref can can still review the footage if he has a strong opinion one way or or maybe it enables him to see you know a, a mistake that he's been making or or how he's been calling a play incorrectly so he still gets to see that so um sort of a hybrid of, of what we've got at the moment where we've got that um, you know maybe there's a ref in Sokorkas who's who's watching who's watching it live and reviewing footage and and but we've also got you know the on-court refs can can come and have a look but it's it's a much more streamlined process think think could be beneficial more power to Secaucus. that's that's actually the only note i wrote down more power to Secaucus. well uh when we were asking for questions one of our friends brett kind of chimed in you know on the ref take about the change in technical fouls you know the nba has introduced suspensions after 16 games and it was more of like a general kind of question about how we feel about that these changes there's an ask for us to discuss the topic but do you guys miss technicals being called a lot you know there's the great Rashid Wall season where he got 44 technicals I think that's probably maybe less of a referee thing and just more of a player thing right the guys nowadays are just more um more disciplined I guess they're more aware of the the harm that you know mouthing off or getting a flagrant foul um, they're more aware of the harm that that can do um, in, a, in a lot of close games you know you're giving away basically two whole positions or, or you can just you know keep your mouth shut or, or you know keep the play somewhat clean I think for the most part nowadays technical fouls are pretty much just for just for complaining so I guess the change um, that he that he was mentioning between the old days and and now I think there's probably much less technical fouls for physical play and more so for just just complaining. To that point, quick quiz for you guys. Who who do you think leads the league in technicals right now? Draymond Green. Close. It's 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 Russell Westbrook. <laughs> and, and I think that goes to show where technicals are coming from um is is mostly player frustration. A lot of time with themselves being expressed towards NBA officials 
And there's no one having more of a frustrating season than Russell Westbrook. So I think that makes perfect sense. I do wish we could get rid of technicals for talking trash and or taunting. Because I am I'm 100% down for a little bit of trash talk. Like, uh, I love watching old bird tapes and kind of hearing him jaw at players. There's like the classic, my fucking Christmas when he hits a three in someone's face. You know, if we can say, all right, complain to refs, quicker whistle, talk trash to another player or flexing on another player or in any way, you know, I'm down for demonstrative actions and talk from theirs and that not being called. But I don't want more winning in the game. I'm, I'm absolutely with you on that one. Uh, I would love to see more taunting and I would, I would love to see players hanging on, hanging on the rim again. Uh, I, I hate that it's so restrictive like i want to see players emotions i want to see uh, all these uh, mental battles uh, on the floor so, so uh, yeah I, I think they're kind of too strict on, on all that stuff I, i've always always felt that way um but i understand why they do you hanging on the room point do you guys remember that game i, I want to say it was javel mcgee who had like 10 rebounds 10 blocks and like eight points and his team was just feeding him constantly to get to get the triple double, and he finally got a dunk, and then he got it rescinded for hanging on the rim. <laughs> it's ridiculous. If, if players were allowed to talk more trash or be more demonstrative like this, who who would you expect to lead the league in, in trash talk or in you know taunting rim dunks? Like, who do you think would be the Rashid Wallace of this era? Hmm. In terms of taunting, I think Rashawn Rondo might be up there. Oh, see him talking some smack. That's a yeah, good point. Yeah. Draymond's probably the obvious guy, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is there any angles to this of just like the Larry Bird, I'm white, I don't look like I should play, so whenever I score on you, I have to say something? Yep. For for a man who has never once set court set foot on the court with Joe Ingles, I can say with absolute confidence that he that he is constantly talking shit. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of all the objective facts, which I cannot know, but absolutely do know, it's that it's that Joe Ingles is talking shit out there. Yep. I could also see like John Collins um, or, or Miles Bridges. They get some really great dunks off of assists. I could see them hanging on the rim, slapping the backboard, just doing something demonstrative i thought you were gonna go the other way with collins and say that he'd um start trash talking his teammates more trey you suck pass me the ball <laughs> pass the fucking ball trey <laughs> i kind of think like john Morant might have some nasty dunks if if he could uh, hang on the rim he, he's like the type of player to just you know get his groin right in the face of the defenders uh, who was the best dunks last year? I mean, if if Jaroman connected that, was, wasn't was it like Rudy Gobert who was dunking on? And he was like almost jumping over him. I think it was Rudy Gobert. Um, but he almost jumped over one of those very tall guys. It might also be, no, it was Giannis, right? He had a dunk on Giannis, I think. Yeah, I think that was this year. Was it this year? Oh. I don't know. No, Either way. Like, yeah, but he had a re- very nice dunk last season where he almost jumped over one of those tall guys. And he almost landed the dunk like it was almost down the rim uh but but clanked the but the the the, uh, the back he could make some nasty dunk i think one of the um cruelest um fates in the nba is that jamarant is on Jonas valentunas's team i just feel like Jonas is a guy who just gets dunked on constantly and always makes guys look good by getting dunked on um so for so for Jard and not be able to dunk on Jonas, it's 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 a cruel twist of fate. He does have like a perfect combination of size to make it look impressive and lack of speed, which makes it likely. And, and just lack of ability to either get out of the way or or properly contest the shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same way with uh, Stephen Adams, I think. Um, yeah, he's like that classic Palgasol build. Uh, maybe someone like Kyle Lowry. I, I think he might be a, a good trash talker. Oh, true. He's a Philly guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are there any, um, so I, I kind of know the, the U.S. cities that I would expect trash talk to come from. Are there any European stereotypes of like the French? Yeah, you, you can expect Theo Melodon to start start saying some shit. Any of those stereotypes? I think so, uh, maybe some of the Turkish players. So like Furkan Korkmaz and... Uh... Chetty Osman's just out there talking absolute shit. Yeah, but don't see them as trash talkers, but they always talk trash on the floor. Um 
I could see all those Tanner. Eastern European. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The guys like him. They they are sneaky, uh, annoying. Um, they 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 always try to get under their skin. Uh, but all those European guys, like no, uh, the Eastern European guys, you know, like uh, Valentunas, uh, Jokic, and stuff like that. Uh, guys like like them, they are always so nice. <laughs> really? Like yeah, yeah, always super nice. They play super intense. Like they will physically try to you know make you un- uncomfortable, but they are always super nice and they they are they're very comp- competitive people. But usually not big trash talker in my experience. I feel like you get a lot of like little brother vibes out of those Eastern European guys. I'm mm-hmm. just like you don't respect me. Well, fuck you. Exactly. Yeah. But they will. They will. They will always bring like max intensity into the game and and mm-hmm. try to physically devastate other teams. So maybe it's just because I watched a lot of Goran Dragic versus Sasha Vucic with the Lakers, and they seemed like they were always going to come to blows. I just expected them to be much angrier. So maybe maybe if it's the right country versus each other, then then the trash talk heats up. Yeah, you just gotta find those rivalries. Eastern European fans, though, that's a different story. They are vocal. <laughs> so, yeah. Isn't also like an English stereotype of like the loud and, and braggadocious, um, I yeah, guess sure. mostly yeah. fans, but there there aren't any really any British players. So, Well, Nick Nurse did coach. He coached the London Lions where Angelo Ball is now playing. So maybe he's got some of that British fire to him. I got OG Ananobi. I think he's British. Um, and uh, Luol Deng. He's so not cool. in the league, but I think he's still being paid, so we'll yeah. count him. He's on the Lega squad. His contract oh. finally expired. I had to check it after the last podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was that 20, uh, 2016 high um, signings where he got massive money, but it was a four-year deal. So, oh, nope. Never mind. We stretched it. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's still on the payroll. Still on the payroll. Tibbs, what did, did he get like a nine-year nine five mil or something? Uh, I forget. They stretched in the later half of his career, but it's yeah. it's more what than if, I want to yeah. pay him or ever see <laughs> on our books ever again. Uh, not a question, but while recording this, had Woj break the news. The Knicks are going to be without Mitchell Robinson for the next four to six weeks. So does that end all uh, all hopes and dreams for for the Knicks this season? No, no, a new hope in in, in New York. You got Derrick Rose back, so it's all good. Uh, I, I I just watched uh, a game, and and Emmanuel quickly will play uh, on the on the floor at, at the same time as Derrick Rose. So problem solved. Yeah, between Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly, they'll um, solve your room protection problems. Easily. I think I've been pretty clear about my um, lack of faith in the Knicks to begin with, that I always thought that they were going to um, fall off. So now that they're without their, maybe their best player, definitely the best defensive player, um, I think that that awesome defense is going gonna, is gonna to fall even faster. Once they stop getting so much shooting luck and also they can't stop anything at the rim, um, that they won't be in good shape. But to, to your point, Nico, I'm just kind of glad, you know, the Rose trade really didn't make much sense for the Knicks. Um, but I'm glad that it hasn't come at the expense of Emmanuel Quickly, who's been one of the best rookies in the league this year. It's come at the significantly better expense of a worse player. You know, Austin Rivers just can't find time in the rotation now. Yeah, see, he can finally get bought out or traded and, and go help a real team. Go see if uh, the only coach that would uh, sign him and the only general manager that would sign him, who are both now together in Philly, will uh, will bring him in. Hey, everyone keeps saying that the Clippers need a point guard, right? Oof. You think Austin Rivers will get us over the hump? Anything to prevent yes. watching Reggie Jackson, I'll take it. Like, Jackson is, is fine enough that he should be an NBA player, but not good enough that I ever want to watch him play, ever. And he's starting for us. How is it? How do you, how do you feel that the Knicks' third-string point guard is, is better than your current starting point guard in Los Angeles? How much does that hurt? You know, I'd just like to see Austin Rivers succeed, so shout out to him. So just to your point that uh, Mitchell Robinson being injured equals them being out of any uh, type of contention in, in these. I mean, they still have Nerlens Noel, who's basically the same player. They also brought in Ty Gibson, who's like the same player, but smaller, and a lot older. So they don't have any problems in New York. Do you think Tibbs played Mitchell Robinson into the ground so that he'd get injured so they can play Taj? 100%. I think that's the most logical theory I've ever heard. So I was just, I was using my shoddy Bluetooth keyboard here to check some stats. And I was just looking at the um, 
value over replacement on Mitchell Robinson, and it's not very high, which means Nolan Noel isn't that much that much worse than uh, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, uh, Robinson Robinson was a lot for them. He was he's a big man. He much more athletic. Big, uh, much better shot blocker than Nerlens. He's like the only part of their defense that's actually real. But yeah, I think I'll saw them coming back into earth. Miami's knocking on the door behind him right now. Um, Toronto's coming up too. Toronto, Toronto's ahead of them now. Gosh, if you take the Knicks out of the the playoff picture, assuming they're going to drop, really that just puts the East in such a bad scenario where one of the following teams has to make the Knicks, the Bulls, the Magic, the Cavs, the Pistons, or the Wizards. And that is just a sad, sad state of affair because I, I don't want to watch any of those teams play in digital game. Oh, so Nate, you know, there's also a team that's coming down to earth at the moment. Uh, I think you had them at like second or third in the East. I don't want to talk uh, about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> So Cleveland Cavaliers isn't exactly looking like the uh, top five uh, team you were talking about in our Eastern Conference predictions. Yeah, yeah. Um, losing Larry Nance Jr. was a death blow that I I didn't expect him his absence to be that detrimental. Um, that said, Cleveland also has had a really tough stretch of games this past uh, past week. So, you know, losing to Portland, Denver, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Weiss, and the Clippers once. You know, that's a, a pretty expected six-game drop. I wouldn't be surprised to see them bounce back soon-ish. And hopefully the break gets extended out, All-Star, and you can get Larry Nance Jr. back. Like, yeah, the Cavs, Cavs have been absolutely miserable to watch after my high hopes. Yeah, no offense to Cavs fans, but I think... Um... The Cavs being bad is is a great thing for the league because they can finally get rid of like all these good and unnecessary players that they have on their roster. Like buy out Drummond, buy out JaVale, get these guys on on teams that could actually use them. Hmm. So what happens if you buy out Andre Drummond? Who picks him up? New York. They need a center. Actually, they got cap space. They might just take him. Just here, here's a second round pick. We'll give you what you gave up for him. Yeah. Signing him on a five-year max contract. That's good. I really Boston needs a center because, you know, if they have to play Rudy Gobert again, or Mason Plumley for some reason has always dominated them, they'll give up a fit point game. So I, I take him. <laughs> so you say, you're saying Detroit Pistons is going to the playoff? Yeah. I mean, Sadiq Bay had just put up 30 and 12 last night. He had a really nice his game. Blake Griffin outplayed LeBron one game this year. So, you know, if you can outplay LeBron in a single game, that's, that's worth something. I really appreciate you continuing to bring that up, Nate. Uh, I got, I have to give you your your little Griffin joy while it can be. What little I can find in the season. You still haven't made a dunk. Did Blake ever have a 50-point game? Um, I can't think so off the top of my head. Well, that's our segue into our next question, which is who do you think will be the next player who has not scored 50 points to have a 50-point game this season? Do you guys need the list of who scored them? Yeah, let's go. So coming in with a 62-point game, we got Steph Curry. 60-point game, we have Brad Beal. Curry with another 57-point game. Fred Van Vliet with a 54-point game. And Nikola Jukic with a 50-point game. So that leaves the door open for a lot of good players. Yeah, we're going to see my guy Luka Doncic score 50 next week. I guarantee it. <laughs> All righty. Um, I think we're kind of due for a Devin Booker game, right? What is he, like third all-time in... in- Points in a single game. Yeah, that's hmm. seventy-one point or seventy. I don't know how many. Monstrosity. Yeah. So I, I went and pulled up the Washington Wizards schedule to see who they play next because that seemed like a, a good point, good place to go. Uh, and they've got games against Boston and games against Portland soon. So maybe Lillard joins the list. Very likely. <laughs> yeah, that 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 seems like a good pick. He's got to carry so much of the offensive load, and you know. What's Washington going to do? I was kind of surprised that there weren't more names on that list. I mean, I know, yeah. the, I know the Nets have had a couple hundred 40-point games. To not have a Harden or a Durant or a Kyrie on that list seemed a bit shocking. Maybe we'll get one from Harden with um, Durant dealing with his um, COVID absence and Kyrie due to miss a game for any given reason at any time. So maybe we can see a Harden game. Definitely possible. Both both of you guys give me like a, a major dark horse. Like a guy that you don't actually expect, but 
a guy that if he did do it, you'd be like, huh, that kind of that kind of makes sense. Like a Fred Van Vliet who just did it? Yeah. Ooh. What about Jalen Brunson under Dallas Maverick? I could see that. Just, you know, just one of the other Mavs, either him or Tim Hardaway Jr. You know, someone yeah. has to someone has to be scoring the ball there. And I think Dallas is way more fun when it's not um not just Luca. What about RJ Barrett? It's kind of hard to put up big numbers when you can't shoot threes, though, right? Like yeah. a lot of these guys, like like Curry and um, and the others, it's because you can get more points on fewer shots. But for RJ, who's sort of a, you know, was he like 30% yeah. less from three? It kind of makes it hard. What, well, in that case, what about either uh, Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero? Do either of them have a Clay Thompson-like game in the future? Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised to see Duncan Robinson just make make a huge splash at some point. Yeah, maybe not this season, but I for sure think that at one point in his career, Duncan's going to get super hot and, and have 50-something on like 18 shots. What about Jordan Clarkson, maybe? He's been having a oh, very true. nice season. Uh, maybe if, if Donovan Mitchell is missing a game or something, he's going to go. Maybe he's just underperforming and we get a nice 50 off the bench. Yeah. What about Russell Westbrook? Do they have any more games against the Nets left this um this season? <laughs> you know, that's a fair point. If they're not going to play the Nets again, the, you know, he had his two best opportunities. It's like every time Kevin Durant is playing uh, against the uh, Russell Westbrook, it's just like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> they're like legit the only team that he's played well against this entire season. It's just yep. both those Nets games. Those might be the only two games that he's won. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Interesting to see looking at the list. Uh, you got Zach Levine, a couple of high 40 point games, John Morant with a 44 pointer, uh, Nikola Vucevic with two 40 point games. Kind of surprised to see him that high. Maybe we'll get a Terrence Ross game. Some, some... He's already had a 50 Isn't... like back in, back in Toronto, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, this next question is a little bit outside of the ballpark, but I thought it was a fun question. One for just the philosophical debate of what matters to this question. But the question was, which NBA players would you select for a five-man dodgeball team? And I know before, while Nico was working on some of the uh, some of his audio setup, Dylan and I were discussing what matters most in a dodgeball team. So, Nico, I'm going to give you a chance to chime in. What do you feel matters the most, uh, or what skills translate the most from the NBA to dodgeball? So you, 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 I think you have to be somewhat elusive, you know, you don't get hit all the time. Uh, you can't be a clumsy guy, you know, you can't be Steven Adams. And you got to have a bit of a, you have to have a, a nice arm so you can throw high velocity. I have no idea what I'm talking about because I've never played dodgeball, but. <laughs> but you guys don't have PE in Denmark? We call it the stick bolt, uh, but it's not exactly the same game. Uh, yeah, so so I guess. I wasn't expecting Denmark to not have dodgeball. That wasn't something I was prepared for. We have dodgeball. It's just called. I, I don't know why we have it. We have our own name, dodgeball. Uh, but I don't know. all right, Bill, uh, I'm gonna put Dylan on the spot first. But Dylan, give me your five-man dodgeball roster. I don't think I got all the way to five guys, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you a couple who I'm considering and and my thoughts behind it. Um, so to to Nico's point of guys who are who are elusive, you don't want a guy who's too big. And a guy who can who can throw. And I'm gonna add in one more quality um, before I give you my team captain. Um, is I want a guy who who's got who's got a bit of a bit of edge, a little bit of nasty. A guy who's gonna mm-hmm. who's who's gonna you know really hone in and and, <laughs> and abuse a guy with with a dodgeball. Um, so my team captain and my my first overall pick is I'm going for CP3, yeah. who's six foot tall. Pretty elusive, um, you know. Back back in his younger days, we saw those, you know, hop steps and um, little floaters, and and a guy who who can throw the ball and who's going to be absolutely pissed if any of his teammates get hit. So that you know, that's that's a little bit of extra pressure. So CP3 is is my number one pick. Well, he's he's my number one pick. Uh, so I'm gonna have to pivot and say that in, in dodgeball, one of the best things you could do is catch the ball because that both gets the guy out and gets your player back in. So I guess in this case, my number one pick is going to be Kawhi Leonard. The claw. So, so there's one more quality I think is important. Uh, as far as I know, uh, you have to get in, into the center of the field right away uh, right, at yeah. the start mm. of the game. Yeah. So, so you need some sprint. speed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need some speed. And I was thinking about speedy guys who is also elusive. Don't do it. Don't take them. No, I, I'm, I'm thinking about John Wall actually. Oh. You know, he, yeah. he, he's he got a bit of girth, you know, he, he's got a strong arm, I'm sure. 
Yeah, he, he can throw he can throw a basketball for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna go John Wall as my captain. He's also a great leadership guy, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, John Wall. Let's go with John Wall. I had a plan for this to be a snake draft or for this to be draft style, <laughs> but I'm loving this. Do you want? Do you want to go back? Yeah. Do you want a snake or do you want to just keep going one through? Let's just circle. That's the first. Yeah, yeah that's let's the first let's, let's not snake it. Let's give us time to think. Um, okay, then Dylan, you're back up for your sec pick. Yeah. All right. This one is going to be um, a little bit different. Maybe not a guy who you expected to to come up because he's he's pretty huge. But um, based on the his ability to be an absolute freak athlete and and a, a guy who I can just imagine being an awesome dodgeball player, despite being like six nine and two hundred and fifty pounds. I'm gonna um, bring in bring in my captain's banana boat teammate. I'm, I'm taking LeBron James as a guy I think is is super fast. Ask Andre Iguodala about that. Um, a guy who can absolutely, you know, probably one of the best bullet passers in the game, if not the best bullet passer in the game. And a guy who's just a, a crazy athlete. You know, there's talk of him. Could he be like a wide receiver in the NFL? So I think he's catching he's catching balls out of nowhere as well. Um, and then, and then just you know that that court vision is going to translate to seeing where those dodgeballs are coming from and and evading them um, by his incredible ability to see everything in slow motion. Well, I can't believe you're going to leave this guy on on the, the board for me to pick, but Facundo Campazzo, go for the short guy <laughs> with some, you know, some good playmaking skills. I'll, I'll take that. I, I want some elusiveness. I already, already got uh, the size and catching ability of Kawhi. So, yeah, that, that's my second pick. Okay, so... I'm, I'm imagining how, how an amateur dodgeball game would look like in America. And I'm sure there's always this one dad, you know, the guy that's taking it way too seriously mm-hmm. and is always always killing the, the young guys on the floor. Um, and I, I'm just instantly thinking about Joe Ingles. Like, he's going to talk so much trash. He's going to look so weird on the floor. <laughs> but, you know, he's just a winner. And I'm picking Joe Ingles as my second guy. He's like the tra- trash talker. We didn't think about it. But having kids might be a distinct advantage. Like, if you're willing to, you know, some of these people probably haven't played dodgeball in years. But if you've got kids and you've got that that switching brain that says, I will throw at a small child, you're going to be a killer at this game, right? <laughs> no, so I'm taking it next level. So this is the dad who got kids and plays with his kids and always wins. Uh, and that's Joe Engel. I love it. Uh, Dylan, who's your, who's your third pick? Let's go... Back in line with a slightly smaller guy who's elusive, great hands, gets a lot of steals, and also a great passer of the ball. I'm going to get Ricky Rubio. Mm, I can see that. Who can throw an accurate pass. Also, nobody nobody's throwing at his face. Too good looking to get a ball in his face. Exactly. So I, I was thinking about this way harder than I should have uh, because this is really not a meaningful question in any way, shape, or form. But you don't want a player that's going to, you know, have a bad throw. Like, you don't want wasted throws. So I'm going for Monte Morris, who is like the king of assist turnover ratio. You know, I, I want to make sure that these are on point, that people aren't catching his passes. So, you know, that's he's my third pick. Yeah, he's, he's not going to give it away. Yeah. So so I got a little bit inspired by your Kawhi pick. Uh, you know, he's not the only guy in the league who's got big hands. Um, and I'm just imagining that in dodgeball, you probably need a guy who's bigger than all the other guys who, uh, you know... You already got you can, jingles. You can... He's not big enough. No, 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 no. He's not big enough. <laughs> this, this guy... He, he can stand in front of like three guys at the same time. So you can hide your best players behind him. And his reach will probably catch balls at each end of the floor. So uh, I'm picking uh, Boban Majanovic. Uh, he's both a fun guy, so the team will love him. And he's got the hands to catch every single ball on the, on, on the dodgeball floor. Yeah, got to keep up morale, sacrifice <laughs> sacrifice a guy. Exactly. <laughs> you need to do that at some point. He's probably got a cannon of an arm too. Just, you know, if he winds up and chucks it, like, yeah, that could hurt. a whole lot of leverage. He's this Serbian trebuchet. Exactly. We were talking about the, the Senegalese trebuchet last last week. <laughs> yeah. Boy. Man, I got, I got to say, Nico, I don't know if your team's going to win the game, but they definitely sound like the most fun. <laughs> That's the team I'd want to be on. Right. Fourth player. Uh, let's go. Oh, God. Let's go small and fast and, and good passing and long arms and big hands. And let's make a um, totally predictable pick of Rajan Rondo. He also would have no problem throwing at a kid's face or 
you know, someone else's face or someone's yeah. on the ground. He's just going to just line it up. Yeah, it's a great choice. Yeah, my team's going to have terrible chemistry. You know, Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo are going to be yelling at each other throughout the game. Um, <laughs> but I think that'll motivate them to take out their fury on on Boban. People is going to call it Rajon Rondo, Chris Paul. Yeah, my favorite dodgeball player, Chris Paul. Man, I- I'm really inspired by your Boban pick. And now I'm trying to think who is the biggest, strongest guy I can get that's just going to arm cannon this way. Because, like, you know, it might not be accurate, but it's going to be going at speed. I don't think people can catch it. Uh, I, I kind of want Zion. Yeah. Like, that, <laughs> yeah. He's going to get at people. And he's going to have that surprise uh, agility where he's just jumping over the ball when you're throwing at him. Yeah, you aim <laughs> for the leg, he jumps once, and then you aim at the legs again, he jumps twice. It's that second jump speed. Finally putting that to yeah, use. Zion playing dodgeball would be weird though because he can't move side to side at all so he'd have to be like facing like side on to the other team so he can run forward and back because that's the that's the only way he can move quickly well I think that's the strategy right you know you want to show him show the least amount of body so you, you turn sideways uh, with with the shape Zion's in I think that might that might not be a <laughs> he's perfectly round <laughs> <laughs> he's the closest you get to a barrel shape in, in, uh, in the NBA are you, are you trying to give me an excuse to use my favorite joke of he's not in basketball shape he's he's in the shape of a basketball (laughs) okay so you know i i think my team is a bit on the big side at the moment so i have john wall he's a big guard i have joe ingles on the bigger side and boban is huge so i need i need some smaller guys now and there's a there's elusive guard running around in san antonio uh, who i know will bring his uh, his a game and 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 effort to the floor I'm going to go Pat Mills. Mm. He's like 100% effort. And, and he throws. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to go with DeJounte Murray. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's got good hands. He's quick. He's skills. And then as soon as you said mm. Patty Mills, I was like, that's, that's a much better pick. Mm, and he got, you know, he got the headband on. He, he's a perfect hit. <laughs> that's perfect a dodgeball player. Dodge player. Yeah. yeah, for sure. He, he looks like he's a fear competitor. Final round. All right. Last overall pick. I think I just stay on theme and, and man, this is tough. There's a lot of good options out here. There are, man. <laughs> I was trying to decide whether I go for another small guy who, who you're not going to be able to hit or whether I go for a guy with a little more arm. Um, I've got a few small guys. Let's go with someone a little bit bigger. Let's go with Lonzo Ball. No, I take it back. Go bigger. You go bigger. No, I'm, I'm going the other way. Um, back in line with the LeBron theme. Um, have you guys seen Steph Curry throw a ball? And I mean, it's very precise. He is. It's very one precise. Of the shooters. Oh yeah, that'll be yeah. <laughs> so, based on his incredible ability to throw a ball accurately from the from the top of the arc, from the corners, from the tunnel, from the stands. Um, from half court and his ability to cross over into other sports, you know, he's, he's, what is he like a semi-professional golfer as well? Yeah. That hand coordination is legendary. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent there. Um, and a guy who's, who's pretty quick, who's elusive, who's competitive, um, underrated as a passer. So I'm going to use my last pick and not, not take a big man and go Steph Curry. You know, I, I'm picking my team in one way thinking that my team is going to play your team. And I really, I was looking at Emmanuel quickly. And I was looking at Matisse Thibel of like small guys that could be quick and, you know, good hands. Um, But when you went with Steph Curry, that just, that edges out my guys. I can't have either of them. So I'm going big again. And I'm taking Bam out of bio because he's got the passing technique. And I heard of one of the draft workouts that Miami put him through was just having a bunch of coaches chuck like basketballs at him and he had to try to catch them or deflect them. And I don't necessarily need deflections, but like if you got a bunch of people chucking basketballs at you from different angles, you're probably decent at dodgeball, right? Yeah, when you're when you're on a team with Pat Riley and Jimmy Butler, I can only imagine that at some point they're playing dodgeball. That's gotta be part of that's gotta be part of the heat training regime. Uh, Jimmy would have also been an excellent choice because you know he has no mercy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, you can't shoot, pick... though, so I have questions of his accuracy. Oh, uh, true. You can't hit threes anymore. You could also pick, like, Tyler Hero. I mean, it's it's not not a, not a long time ago he played uh, Dutch ball. And, uh, that's that's a great tactic. You go for a young guy who's who's yeah. most recently played high school, Um, who most <laughs> was most recently in a high school PE class. Quick, someone find out if yeah. Poku's got some, some uh, dodgeball <laughs> skills. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, he would be nice because you couldn't hit him. He's so uh, simple. <laughs> Turn sideways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we did just find out, Nate, that um, dodgeball is, isn't really a thing in in Europe. So you gotta you gotta stay local. Oh, Nico, you the last pick. So who's uh, who's rounding us out? So I actually think uh, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm having bit of a theme at the moment um you know with joe ingles and pat mills um and and the moment uh, dylan said uh, steph curry i was writing a name down i actually had two other names on my list um but um i need a steph curry stopper now and you know there's one guy uh tony who douglas also leave everything on the floor and probably the only guy i've seen uh, spent the night on the hospital after a game. I'm picking Matthew Delavadova, certified Steph Curry starter. He's a warrior, and you know you have. I have three guys from Australia now. I think, yeah, yeah. So I have three guys from Australia. That's uh, you know going to have some chemistry and some toughness, and uh, you know they're going to be fierce. You want you want to know who else was on my list? Yeah, give us the honorable mentions. I'm actually surprised we haven't mentioned the uh, Bull Bull. He's got. He's, I mean, his wingspan. I'm sure he can like throw the ball like out of the. <laughs> when when his arms take up half the court, it's like where do you hide those <laughs> arms so they don't get hit? Yeah, he's gonna get yeah. hit so quickly. Yeah, but my initial uh, name before the Lodoa was actually CJ McCollum, just to get that baby face guy who is also uh, like just gonna hide in the corner and 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 hope there's nobody aiming at him. Hey, Portland's used to hiding CJ on defense, so he he should be used to yeah. hiding. Yeah. Damn, shots fired. So, <laughs> so, yeah, great exercise. This was fantastic. It almost made you want not ask our final question. But, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up, we really need to talk about those we love most and the ones that we're closest to. And so who better to discuss than man's best friend, our dogs, and answer the age-old question, should dogs be allowed to sleep on bed with the humans or is the dog's place the floor? So I know you two got strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you have uh, have your opinion. Now, why don't why don't we start with you as an impartial observer and non um, dog owner? Uh, I was, uh, you know, I just said to you guys that I had my uh, in-laws uh, visiting uh, tonight. Um, they're sitting uh, right next to, uh, you know, in the other room, and I actually. I asked my mother-in-law uh, how she felt about dogs in the bed. She was like, ew, that's so fucking nasty. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so at least I'm not the only one thinking that dogs should definitely not be allowed in your bed. If it makes you feel any better, my wife is 100% with you on this argument. Like, I have tried to have this fight, but she's very certain that if I want to allow my dog in the bed, uh, then I can sleep in the guest bed with the dog. Or, yeah, yeah, she's, she's made it clear. It's her or the dog. And I just don't think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be in the minority. My dog sleeps on the bed like it's an adorable sure. little an adorable little ball of, of love just emanating from the foot of your bed. They're 100% asleep on the bed. Yeah, they're cuddly. Yeah. They're sweet. Making those gross cleaning noises while you're trying to sleep. Oh, my dog snores. <laughs> We've got... Actually, uh, to be fair to my wife, she bought our dog a Tamper-Pedic foam mattress that I'm pretty sure is nicer than our bed. Uh, and it's at the foot of our bed. And our dog snores just probably worse than I do. I just... Uh... You know, we have our daughter sleeping in our bed from time to time. So that's enough place taking uh, away from me. Uh, no no room for a dog. I, I guess if you've got a child on the bed, th that's a reasonable argument that I think I think I can live with. I can settle for that. You know, I actually read in a study that kids with dogs in their home was actually less sick than kids without in there uh, because they're exposed to more bacteria so so it should actually be healthy for you so if i'm making the case for sleeping with your dog in the bed you know it, it might actually help your immune uh, defense uh, getting up you know uh, but that also speaks against it like so much bacteria in your bed do you actually want that <laughs> I, I saw one i saw one comment on, on this uh uh fret uh, coming from one of the facebook groups um and she said you, you might as well just uh, take a piece of your trash and and, and place it in your bed or something <laughs> yeah i don't know but some people feel really strongly against it. that's a cat person right there 
<laughs> just ignore everything she says. She's that's a that's a cat lady. But, but you know, cat people also let their cat sleep on their bed. You can't control a cat. Like, oh, wait, no, wait, no, I'm not a dog do, person. Does your stance change if it's a cat? Do you let cats sleep on the bed? No, no, no. I don't want any animals in my bed. <laughs> so I also have cats. Um, and and it's, it comes down to a case-by-case basis with them based on their personality. Mm. Um, so so my one cat sleeps on the bed and the other cats sleep in, in this room right here. They sleep in the study because they are so freaking annoying while I'm trying to sleep. One of them is just super affectionate, so will like demand attention and the other one is just super playful so she'll just like run around the room or like attack my feet or something. Um, so it, it's a case by case basis with cats. My my cat Giannis um, is, he's a, he's a bed cat and since I got him before I got married and before the wife moved in, he has he's got right of way and she can't say anything about it because he has already claimed his spot on the bed yeah precedent had been established there's uh-huh. he questions whether or not she should sleep on the bed because you know, <laughs> he thinks she's taking up a lot of space although she does pet him so Giannis likes getting pets there was another guy saying that if you didn't let your dog sleep in your bed you might as well confess that you're a serial killer <laughs> nico is there something you want to tell the tell the audience <laughs> <laughs> yep, the only people that force their dog to sleep on the on the floor, or even worse, outside, are, are psychopaths. Outside is too much. Oh yeah. Also, for those wondering, my cat's name is Giannis, and my dog's name is Sasha Puchicic. That's amazing. Oh, sorry. What? what what's your dog's name? Sasha Puchicic, like Luchic, but Puchicic. <laughs> Oh yeah, nice one, nice one. So you're naming all your animals after NBA players? I think at this point I have to, although I didn't... That's the theme. <laughs> did you name Sasha or did you just um, wing that one into somehow bringing it back to an NBA player? My wife chose her name, but I guided it because yeah. a lot of her other names were not NBA related. But I was like, oh, Sasha, I can work with this. Yeah, nice. But just uh, for the record, I love animals. I have no problem with animals at all. And I think all dogs are cute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to all dogs. <laughs> all dogs. All dogs are equal. I think that's an excellent place to end this week's episode. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Nico. Thank you, everyone who wrote in and gave us questions. Uh, please... Feel free to message us Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or email us at hoopstemple at gmail.com. Guess your questions. We'd love to do another mailbag later. Uh, follow, like, and subscribe. Find us on Facebook. All that other jazz. You guys hear it a thousand times a day. You know what to do. Thank you. It's been a hoot. <laughs>